All right, why don't you um, join with me in just uh, asking for the Lord's help this morning. Lord, we are grateful to again be gathered together. We thank you that we've already heard uh, your name lifted and honoured in song, in prayer, in reflection, as we've gathered around the table to focus our thoughts and our, our affections towards Christ and his sacrifice. Um, Lord, we worship you this morning. And even now, as we open up your word, our heart's desire is to hear your voice, no others. Lord, speak to us, we pray. Holy Spirit, help us to understand. And um, Lord, in the, the hard places of our hearts, Lord, will you soften those so that we might both hear and obey what you are saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, I want to give you up front a couple of things. Um, Firstly, Tim, thanks so much for... Um, where's Tim? Tim's somewhere. Run away. Um, oh, he's gone. Okay, gee, he was rubbish last week, wasn't he? <laughs> no, he's not. He, he was fantastic. Um, he, he made the, he, he made the um, inference um, last week that I had somehow done him a, a hard... Um, a rough deal by giving him the topic of, you know, dealing with our rights, etc., um, I could have been worse, mate. I could have given you this week where we talk about some finance stuff. So, um, so uh, yeah, I did you a favour. Because today is going to be a little bit um, tough, not so much for, I think, necessarily what the Bible has to say to us, but um, when I first started thinking through the passage, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you can go to it in your Bibles if you like and get ready. That's what we're going to be looking at today. The beginning of that passage, that chapter. Um, and, and Paul primarily is going to deal with stuff around finance. And as someone who is employed by this church, um, I started thinking, gee, this could be very easily misconstrued, um, misinterpreted, that I'm going to talk about money and um, Chris is angling for a pay rise or something, you know. But um, I hope you can here this morning the, the theme of this text and the application of this text, and that's what I want to talk about primarily. Uh, so by the end of this morning's time together, um, what I, my intention is to have one very immediate application uh, to this text, and then one uh, general implication for the text, something that I think is going to apply to all of us regardless of our situation or our circumstance. And really the way that I want to do that this morning is deal with one um, contrast that we're going to see in this passage and we want to sort of just tease out the implications of that a bit. So the, this is the contrast if you're a person who likes to write things down or try and tuck them away into your memory banks a little bit. As Christians in particular that Paul is addressing the church in Corinth and I think he's primarily addressing Christians here at the moment. As Christians how do we deal with the contrast or the tension that exists between what is a, I think, a good expectation, so that's the key word, expectation, versus entitlement, all right? So they're the two things we're going to contrast a little bit, expectations versus entitlements. Um, we are going to be talking a bit about how that applies to finance, but I think you'll see, or I'm trying to point out to you, that is one place that Paul applies this principle, but it applies to lots of other places, okay? And we're going to touch on some of those, I hope, as we go through. 
Um, so keep that in mind. We're going to deal with good expectations, right expectations, and entitlements. Um, and we all probably have in the back of our mind, uh, usually it's somebody else. We very, very rarely will see it in ourselves, but we see it in other people pretty easily. Oh, that's an entitled person. You know, oh, that person is so entitled. They, they just expect, right? They expect that everyone else is going to do whatever it is for them. Um, and that type of entitled attitude uh, is usually something in other people that we don't, we don't value very highly. We sort of see it as being quite a poor thing. And uh, I think there's good reasons for that. So let's start in the text. And I want to work our way through. And to begin with, we're going to look at some expectations. And the two expectations that Paul brings out in the text, the first one is a reasonable expectation. What I mean by reasonable is just logical, right? In, in the way that we think about things, Paul says, I have a reasonable expectation of the church in Corinth. And then he's going to say, I also have a biblical expectation of the church in Corinth. So they're the two ways that we can have expectations, or at least that Paul does. And so let's read them and consider how that applies to us. So here's the first one, a reasonable expectation. And um, the way he, he does this is he, he's addressing the church in Corinth. He's writing this letter to them. And really the expectation is around financial or at the very least practical support that he and Barnabas, which is his partner in the gospel ministry that he's, he's working with, the reasonable expectation that he has for the church in Corinth to practically support Christian ministry, gospel ministry. So I want you to read with me. I'm going to read from verses 1 down to verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 9. I'll read from the Christian Standard Bible. You can follow along with me. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me in this is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas, that's Peter, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Let me just pause there for a moment. Paul's, Paul's addressing a topic in the church in Corinth and he wants to give a reasonable expectation, a logical ex, um, expectation of the church to say, hey, listen, it is reasonable of me to expect that the church would support practically this gospel work that I and Barnabas are a part of. And, and to do that, he just asks um, a number of rhetorical types of questions. Okay? He doesn't answer them in the test because what he knows is that the, the church in Corinth would be saying, well, yes, Paul, that is reasonable, right? I do understand that. So in verse 3, he says, listen, if anyone wants to sort of attack me on this issue, well, he says, my defense, my defense to those who examine me in this. So 
So Paul has this expectation of the church in Corinth that they practically support gospel ministry, in particular his. He says, both mine and Barnabas, right? And he asked them a couple of questions about, you know, hey, is it okay for, to have one rule for other gospel workers and not for us? And the answer is no, it, it should be the same. And then he asked a series of just reasonable questions like, um, who serves as a soldier in his own expense? And everyone would say, well, no one does, right? If you join the army, um, you serve, you, you train, you, you work, you fight, and, and those that govern the army or the government in our situation, they provide at least a basic living um, allowance of some sort, some sort of pay for you to do that. You aren't expected to go and serve in the defence force, even in our modern Australia, and um, you arrive on your first day of basic training and they say, okay, well, now this is all the things that you're going to have to do. It's a full-time job for you. Great. And they're like, now how are you going to feed yourself? And Paul says, that doesn't happen, right? Um, he goes on to use another example. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? There's an agricultural um, thing, and he also talks about someone who shepherds a flock. Right? The idea there is if you own a vineyard, if you own an orchard, if you own a vegetable patch, and you're doing that as a full-time wage, you're selling it, it's quite logical, it's quite reasonable that some of that produce you would put on your own table. Right? or that you might enjoy some of the fruit of your labour. So there's the first reasonable expectation. So if I was going to summarise that, or if you were to try and summarise that, I would simply say that Paul makes the point that it makes reasonable sense that a gospel worker should have some gain from the work that he does. Okay? That's Paul's reasonable logic, reasonable expectation to say to the church, hey, listen, guys, it makes reasonable sense that a gospel worker should have some gain from what he does. All right, so we're going to move from reasonable expectation across to now Paul's going to address a biblical expectation. So let's read together from verse 8, and we'll read down to about... Verse 11, so Paul then asked this question, am I saying this, everything that he has just said, am I saying this from a human perspective? All right. Am I just thinking about it from a logical point of view? And so far he has been. But now he says, doesn't the law also say the same thing? He wants to move the churches in Corinth, he wants to move their thinking from just human reasoning there's a reasonable expectation. Now I want you to think about it biblically. What does the law say about this? Verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen, Paul says? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes. This is written for our sake. Because he who ploughs ought to plough in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? That's Paul's question, right? I want you to go down, skip a few verses and go down and read from verse 13, and he picks up this same theme. Verse 13 says, Don't you know 
that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple. And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So Paul wants to address this expectation of practical support from the church in Corinth by addressing two different types of expectations. One is purely just reasonable. It makes logical sense that this happened, he says. But even if you were to sort of say, well, it's not just all about logical sense, Chris or Paul, you know, this is also, we've got to make sure this is biblical. And Paul says, well, it is. It is biblical for a church to get behind gospel work and support it practically. So here's how I would summarise his biblical expectations. It is a valid expectation that the church support gospel ministry because, at the very least, God has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living from the gospel. It's quite clear there. And then he gives a number of Old Testament references and examples of the way that worked out. You know, the the priests who served in the temple, they received a portion of the, the goods of the temple and that's how they lived. All right? So that's expectation. I think it's a good thing that Paul had that expectation. In fact, I don't see anything in there that's negative, that Paul has an expectation of the church in Corinth, and I would say that as a gospel worker, through a biblical principle, that there should be a good, reasonable, and biblical expectation for the local church to get behind gospel work and say, how can we support this? How can we practically encourage this? But here's where we need to understand the difference between an expectation, even a good expectation, even a biblical expectation, and entitlement. Because I think at this point, Paul has spent probably a considerable amount of time building an argument, all right? He's building an argument, and it has both reasonable and biblical foundations to it. Um, the, The argument is... How, there, how can there be a valid expectation that the church support gospel ministry? And in Paul's case, he's applying it to himself. He's saying, you know, this is, this is something that both I and Barnabas are involved in. And he's contrasting their ministry with other apostles. And he says, you know, is it only they, those people that should get it? Shouldn't we also? And so he's building this expectation. But this is, I think, where the passage takes quite a surprising turn. Because Paul's going to detour away now from what I think are valid expectations of the church and he's going to address the danger of entitlement. So let's keep reading 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's go back and have a look at verse 12 and we'll pick up the context of where this starts to shift and change. Verse 12, Paul says, If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? And he's addressing himself and Barnabas. Nevertheless, verse 12, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right 
Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Skip down. He keeps picking it up from verse 15. Find it? Verse 15. Okay. For my part, he says, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I've no reason to boast because I'm compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I'm entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. So here's the surprising turn in this passage, I think. And this is where we need to be really careful about what Paul is and isn't saying. Paul is not denying by this last passage that we just read, Paul is not denying that there is both a reasonable and biblical expectation for a church to support gospel ministry. He's just made a very valid case as to why that should happen. But this is, the, this is where it, it shifts. That was an expectation, but now what Paul's doing is saying, but I will not use my very reasonable and biblical rights to this to step into entitlement. I will not enforce these rights. He used that type of language, doesn't he? I'm not going to make use of these rights. I won't profit by these rights. I'm not going to stake my case and make this happen. So if I was to try and summarise the difference here, this is what I would say. This is what entitlement is from Paul's point of view. Entitlement equals expectations plus enforcement. All right? It's okay to have an expectation, Paul says. In fact, it's, it's both reasonable and biblical to have this expectation. But if I am to take that expectation and enforce it, if I say, it's not just an expectation, but I deserve this, that's entitlement. And Paul says, I won't go there. I'm not going to do it. I'd rather have no money, no support at all, and just preach the gospel. He says, basically, if, you, if, I, if I'm only preaching the gospel so that I can get some money, right? if, I, if I view my work as an apostle, if you work your, see your work as a pastor or whatever it might be, as your job, that's my job. I'm getting paid to do this. Paul says the danger with that is if you don't get paid to do it, then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, well, I didn't get paid to do it. I don't need to do it. All right. Paul says, I'm going to keep doing this. I don't care if I get paid or not. God's given me a commission to preach. I'm going to preach. I don't care if I'm going to Make a profit out of this or not? I don't care if this is my livelihood or not. Is it valid that the church should have supported him? You bet. Is it reasonable and logical? Yes. Is it biblical? Of course it was. But Paul says, I don't care what you do with your money. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. All right? Now, I think there's a, a way that we can directly apply this. And to do that, um, I'm gonna, I've drawn up a couple of 
pictographs and, what do you call them? Not pictographs. What do you call that? Infographs or something, I don't know. I drew some pictures. <laughs> and when I say I drew some pictures, I mean I copy and pasted some stuff that I found and I, I pulled some data off the latest um, census results. So this, these, these numbers that we're going to see on the screen are pulled from the census that was taken last year and the results were just released in the last month or so and they are applied to Raymond Terrace Township. So let me be very clear, this is not data that I've extracted somehow magically out of our tithes and offerings, <laughs> all right? We don't have that data, by the way. Um, these numbers are taken as statistical data from Raymond Terrace Township, all right? So as of the last census, we have uh, 13,453 people who call Raymond Terrace home. Our town has grown slightly in the last four years or so. So 13,453 people. Now, that makes up 5,600 dwellings in Raymond Terrace. All right? Now, I'm not sure how the government defines a dwelling, but that's 5,600 dwellings in Raymond Terrace. Now, when they took all the people that lived in Raymond Terrace and they applied them across the dwellings, they somehow come up with a figure of how many people are in a household. All right? The average household in Raymond Terrace is 2.5. All right? That's... If you took all the households in Raymond Terrace, some of them have six or seven people living in them, or 11 people, or whatever. Some people have one person living in their household, whatever. The average household in Raymond Terrace is 2.5. All right, let's go to the next slide. The median household income, median household income is $1,297. Let me explain median for a minute. I've tried to put it onto the picture. Um, if you could get every single household in Raymond Terrace and look at their household income, so that's the combined income of everyone that lives in the house, 2.5 people. The combined income of everyone that lives in that house, and if you could get all the houses and line them up in a row with the very smallest income, the least income at one end, and the highest, the most income at the other end, if you could line them all up, the house that's right in the very middle, that's the median, all right? That means that there are just as many people in Raymond Terrace that earn more than $1,297 for the household as there are people who earn less. And right now, you might be sort of doing some quick maths in your head and thinking about your household income, and you're like, oh, where do I sit on that scale? You might be higher than that, you might be lower than that, but we're going to take the median as a figure to work from. Okay, next slide. In Raymond Terrace Community Church, we have represented, at least statistically in our church, we have represented about 60 households. Now, the way that I worked that out was that I took um, a rough figure of about 150 people who attend our church, roughly. I divided it by 2.5, which is what the standard household is in, a, in Raymond Terrace, and that works out to be 60. Huh? Is that right? I think so. Okay, so 60 
households, statistically, come to our church. Now, stick with me here. This is where we're going to talk about money for a moment. If every 10 households... So let's go to the next slide. If every 10 households, combined income of 10 households, in Raymond Terrace Community Church were to tithe. Now, tithing's a big subject, right? And there's lots of arguments back and forth about, well, what is the right amount? And I'm just going to go with a really basic general starting off principle that you see operating all the way through the Old Testament, and that works off about 10%, all right? In fact, I would say in the Old Testament, 10% was a bare minimum. But let's work with 10%. If every 10 households represented by our church, were to tithe 10%, and if we were all earning the median, the median household income, then just purely on maths, every 10 households equals one full-time salary or wage of a gospel worker. That means... Next slide that 60 households, if they were tithing at 10%, could support six gospel workers. And that could be a mixture of gospel workers who are working locally in our church or externally on the mission field, just gospel workers in general. 60 households could equal six gospel workers. Now, let me make it really clear again. Our church, right now, may not be exactly the same as the wider community statistics. I'm using the wider statistics of Raymond Terrace. Um, our church, if we were to do the same census data of just our church, it's called a sample. Our sample could be less than that, could be more than that, but the percentages don't change very much. 60 households could support six gospel workers, both locally or, in, or externally, but that's probably not going to be very realistic either. And so let's do one more slide. It's quite possible that that same 60 households could support four full-time gospel workers, but would also then have an annual budget for ministry of $135,000 a year. That's, that's the equivalent of two of those wages put together. Um, Here's the thing. This is just a statistical case study. But I actually think that we could do that. I actually think that we could. I think that there is a reasonable expectation that we, we could do that. I think that there's a biblical principle that we at least try to do that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine with me for a moment what could be done with the seed that's planted from Raymond Terrace Community Church. And I'm not talking about just increasing our staff here for some you know, bizarre... I'm talking about gospel ministry, gospel work with people here and on the field and a budget to support, not wages, an additional budget to support you know, gospel initiatives, resources, energy. Imagine what could be done. I mean, only God knows the fruit of that type of ministry. 
And so I don't want to go past this quickly because I want to put the challenge out and say, listen, I think it is a reasonable expectation that we could do this. I think there's a biblical principle that, that drives this. I really think that we could. This could be us. But here's the thing. Regardless of what our bank balance looks like this year, or how many staff we've got, or how many missionaries we can support, we're just going to get on with gospel ministry anyway. Amen. That's the heart of what this church is about. It's how it started. It's how it's laboured on for the last 40 years. It's how it will continue to. Right? It is... It is a good, valid, and biblical expectation that the church would get behind gospel ministry, that they would support practically and financially gospel initiatives. I think it's good for us to expect that. But we're not entitled to it. Paul wasn't. We aren't. Regardless of what your giving is like, we would love for you to reflect on it, ask the Lord to show you and guide you, Lord, what can I be giving? How can I support? I'm going to to put that challenge out there for you to do that. But regardless of how you answer that question, we're just going to get on with whatever God puts in front of us. With whatever resources we have, with whatever opportunities are there, we're just going to do them. Entitlement happens in churches when they begin to enforce good expectations. And that usually happens through various forms of manipulation. We enforce things by manipulating our circumstances and we can do that emotionally. We can do that spiritually. We can say, if you give more, God will bless you more. But we just want to get on with the joy of gospel work. And we want you to join with us however you can. We've set ourselves the task at Raymond Terrace Community Church to make mature and multiply disciples in Raymond Terrace and beyond. And by God's grace, we'll do it. Regardless of the budget next year. Regardless of the workers that are available, regardless of how many staff we've got, regardless of how, many, how much equipment we can buy or whether or not we upgrade to a different system, regardless of any of those things, if God takes all of that away and we're meeting down beside the park and we're wading through the silt that's down there at the moment, then we'll just get on with gospel ministry. There are still people that don't know Jesus... There are still disciples who need to be encouraged in their faith. There are still gifts in this church that need to be exercised. And so we'll get on with it. Let me finish with a very general implication, though. Our time's done. I think it's a good thing to both have um, reasonable and biblical expectations, not just of financial things in a church, but just of each other as Christians. What happens... If those expectations aren't met, though, here's an example. The Bible says that we should honour one another. 
So do you think it's, a, it's a, both a reasonable and biblical expectation that you might have of another Christian in this church or any, any Christian that you meet, that they honour you? Well, yes. Because the Bible says honour each other. In fact, it says outdo one another in honouring each other, right? It is a reasonable and biblical expectation to have of other Christians that they treat you with dignity and honour. What happens if they don't? What will you do? Well, first thing is, you can pray. Ask God for his help in not turning your expectations into an entitlement. All right? You might expect that they should honour. That's a very different thing to enforcing that and saying, hey, listen, you must honour me. You must. Pray that you'll resist the temptation to try to enforce your expectations on others. And then pray also that your brothers and sisters, that they trust that God can accomplish in them a work that will spring from the heart and not because you manipulated their circumstances. And number three, we'll get on with it, even if they don't honour you. Right? That's, that's where expectation meets entitlement. And the choice there is how you respond. We just get on with it. Okay, someone didn't honour me the way that I, I felt that there's a biblical expectation that they should. What should I do? Well, pray for them, yes, but then just get on with it. Model the behaviour and the lifestyle that you desire for others. Amen. Show them what it looks like to be honoured. Yeah. Maybe others aren't stepping up. That's the language we use, aren't we? don't we? Oh, they're not stepping up. Maybe they're not um, chipping in. That's the other Aussie statement that we like. They're not chipping in. Maybe they are... Uh, well, they just don't get it yet. All right? They're all the sayings that we often say... But don't sit around until they do. Just get on with what God has put in front of you. Right. They will answer to the king one day and you will answer to the king one day. They will answer for their choices and you will answer for yours. So just get on with it. So is it wrong to have reasonable and biblical expectations? No, that's a good thing. It is wrong when we take those expectations, enforce them into our relationships because that's entitlement. Paul says, woe to me, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Right? Let's just get on with it. Leave, let, let God sort out what needs to be sorted out. But whatever God's put in front of you, and for us as a church what he's put in front of us. Let's just get on with it. Obey God the best that we can. If he challenges us to do something, step out and do it. But let's trust God for the rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for your patience with us when sometimes we just get caught up in trying to make things happen our own way and Lord, we want to be a church and we want to be individuals and families and households who trust you. Trust you for the places and the things that we can't control. But Lord, give us the courage to step out in obedience to things that you've put in front of us. Lord, we want to be a church who is obedient to you. 
We want to be good stewards of our finance. We want to be, we want to be bold with our finances. We want to be able to trust you, Lord. So help us to do that. But Lord, help us also to not hold back and be timid because we don't think that the resources are there to do what we want to do. And Lord, you'll meet us. Help us to just follow after you. Help us to get on with it. Both as a church and as families and as individuals as we follow the gospel work that you've put before us. We entrust all of this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.